Well, last week we discovered that we are living in the last days and have been for nearly 2,000 years our time or two days God's time. Peter reminded us that God isn't bound by time as we are. He is eternal. And therefore, a thousand years is as a day, and a day, a thousand years. But these are the last days. This is the last period of history. It began when Christ ascended into heaven and will end when he returns. And the last days will end when the day of eternity begins. Let's see what Peter has to say about that day as he draws to a close his second letter to us. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, on account of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat? But according to his promise... We are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless. And regard the patience of our Lord to be salvation, just as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, wrote to you, as also in all his letters, speaking in them of these things, and in which are some things hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable distort, as they do also the rest of the scriptures to their own destruction. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard, lest Being carried away by the error of unprincipled men, you fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. The day of eternity is coming like a thief. In case you didn't know, Jesus was supposed to come back last month. On the 23rd day of September. That day was the day of a celestial alignment that many were convinced would usher in the second coming. Of course, he was also supposed to come back on May 21st, of 2011. At least that's what Harold Camping said on 6,000 billboards and from the 55 radio stations that he owned. I could keep going back, but I think you get the idea. A lot of dates have been set for the second coming. 
but none have come true. Most prophetic writers today aren't as bold as the infamous false prophets of the past, and they settle for simply identifying the the signs of the times and stating that Jesus' return is imminent. Now, that's not a bad thing. You know, declaring the second coming to be imminent is not only appropriate, it is essential. But trying to identify the signs of the times as they relate to the second coming is a waste of time. Peter reminds us that the day of eternity will come like a thief. And that's what Jesus taught as well. He said, but of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, nor the Father alone, but the Father alone. Therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. But be sure of this. That if the head of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have been on the alert and would not have allowed his house to be broken into. For this reason, you be ready too. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think he will. Even Jesus doesn't know when he's coming back. So who are we to speculate? In fact, he said that he would come back at an hour when we don't think he will. So if we peg a date, the only thing we can be sure of is that he won't come back on that date. His return is not something we can calculate. He didn't intend for us to do so. He's coming back like a thief in the night. So we have no idea. When he's coming. He did say, however, that we should be prepared for his coming. We must always be on the alert. Even though we don't know when he's coming, we do know that he is coming. And that's, quite frankly, all we need to know. Paul stressed that fact in 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 6. Now, as to the times and the epics, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you. For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. While they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly, like birth pangs upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness that the day should overtake you like a thief, for you are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of night nor of darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. Jesus' return will be sudden and unannounced. The only way to be ready for his return is to expect him at any time. And that's what he wants. That's why he didn't tell us when he's coming back. And quite frankly, that's 
one of the biggest problems with elaborate attempts to peg dates and, and see in every current event the fulfillment of prophecy. They can actually make us less expectant. If you assume Christ can't come back until the temple is rebuilt in Jerusalem or something else must happen before he returns, you won't expect him today. But Jesus wants us ready now, expecting him at any moment. I'm therefore convinced that every prophecy that needed to be fulfilled before his return was fulfilled long ago and that Christ can come back today if he so chooses. So if he does come back today, what's, what's going to happen? Surprisingly, for some, the first thing that's going to happen is that the wicked and unrepentant will be taken away in judgment. We know this because in Matthew 24, 37 through 41, we read, For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. For in those days which were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, they were marrying and given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. So shall the coming of the Son of Man be. Then there shall be two men in the field, one will be taken, one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken, and one will be left. Now, many modern interpreters believe this pictures a rapture of Christians from the earth before a time of tribulation. But Jesus pictured those being taken like those who were taken away in the flood, taken away in judgment. And in the parable of the tares, the tares were gathered up and burned before the wheat was gathered into the barn. So I do not want to be in the first group to be taken. I want to be left behind and then taken up, as pictured in 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 through 17. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. We'll meet the Lord in the air. We will always be with him from that point on. But we'll only stay in the air with him until this world is destroyed. You know, last week we learned that this present world is being reserved for fire. That God will preserve our physical home until the day of judgment and destruction of godly men. And that day is coming. One day this world will be destroyed. It will be gone. It's not as permanent as we like to think. And it won't be destroyed by the doings of man. It'll be God's activity that brings it about. This world is temporary. It's not going to last forever. It was not intended to last forever. Peter made that very clear in verses 10 through 12 of our text for today. But if the day 
of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, on account of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning, and the elements will melt with intense heat? Peter says, the heavens will pass away with a roar. The physical heavens, the expanding universe that God created in the beginning, will vanish. The elements, along with the mechanism that God put in place to create them, will be destroyed with intense heat. All that is necessary for life on earth will disappear. And the earth, along with all its works, will be burned up. Everything above the earth and on the earth will be destroyed. And all our fancy monuments to man will be melted down. Nothing as we know it today will be in God's tomorrow. That doesn't mean nothing will exist. The world won't be annihilated, just changed drastically. Peter compared the destruction of the world with fire to the destruction by water. Just as our present world was remade by the flood, so will our future world be remade by fire. It will, in fact, be a new heaven and a new earth. But according to his promise, according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. The new heavens and earth will be home to righteousness. That is indeed a change we're looking forward to. Obviously, unrighteousness dwells on this earth, but it hasn't always been so. When first created, this earth was a paradise. It was perfect. God designed it perfectly for us. But when we fell, the earth did as well. Due to our sin, the earth itself was cursed. Thorns and thistles give evidence to that curse. In fact, all of creation was locked into the slavery of corruption because of sin. Paul makes that clear in Romans 8, 20-22. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. When the curse of death was passed on mankind, it included everything that had been created him. And by the same token, when God offered to redeem man, he also promised to redeem the earth. 
And Paul makes that clear in verse 19. He says, For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. All of creation awaits the coming of the Lord. God's got a plan for this world, and it can hardly wait. J.B. Phillips puts it this way. The whole creation is on tiptoe to see the wonderful sight of the sons of God coming into their own. All of creation is waiting. Waiting for the new heaven and new earth that John saw come down out of heaven in Revelation. Waiting for our eternal home, which is going to be on a new earth. John pictured it this way. He saw it this way. He says, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea, anything that separated us. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he shall dwell among them. And they shall be his people, and God himself shall be among them. He shall wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall no longer be any death. There shall no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. John goes on to share a vision he was given that pictured our home as a city. A city of beauty with streets of gold and gates made of a single pearl. A city that doesn't need the sun because it's illumined by God himself. The vision pictures our future home as a fabulous city. You know, I think there's more to heaven than a city 1,500 miles cubed. I believe it'll be paradise restored. Eden, once more. Where we can walk with God in the cool of the evening and have sweet fellowship forever. And we'll all be there by choice this time. Sin will have been conquered and God will know we're there because we choose to be there. We will have accepted his invitation to come into fellowship with him through his son. And in fellowship with all the saints. And apparently, even in fellowship with animals. Believe it or not, paradise The new earth, as pictured in the Old Testament, even includes animals. (laughs) It doesn't mention cats. (laughs) Well, actually, I guess it does. In Isaiah 65, 17 and 25, we read, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. And the former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. And dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall do no evil or harm in all my holy mountains, says the Lord. 
And back in Isaiah 11, we read, And the wolf will dwell with the lamb, and the leopard will lie down with the kid, and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little boy will lead them. Also the cow and the bear will graze. Their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. And the nursing child will play by the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child will put his hand on the viper's den. They will not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Now, it is possible that this is merely symbolic of the fact that there will be no animosity in heaven. The wolf and the lamb together. But the picture of the cow and bear grazing and the lion eating straw like an ox may actually be a picture of the Garden of Eden restored. And it is likely that animals and birds and Adam and Eve live together in harmony as vegetarians in the Garden. But things changed after the fall. There's a good chance that man started eating meat shortly after leaving the garden, even before permission was actually given to do so after the flood, because we're told that Abel was the keeper of flocks and offered just the fat portions of animals to God, probably eating the rest himself. And... Since there is fossil evidence that carnivores and predators predated man, they may very well have existed outside the garden. But all was at peace in the garden. And our eternal home will be a place of peace as well. Everyone and everything will be in harmony with everything else. And with God himself. Satan and every harmful thing, along with all who rejected the lordship of Christ, will be banished from this place of love and beauty to a place described as a lake of fire, a bottomless pit, and black darkness. Now, we don't have all the details of hell or heaven We can't adequately visualize a place of spiritual torment or reward. But God wants us to dream about our eternal home. So he gives us pictures to capture our imagination and then assures us that it will so far exceed our wildest dreams that we can never expect too much. The day of eternity is coming. Peter wants us ready for it, longing for it, even hastening the day. Peter says we may actually hasten the coming day of God. Now, I find that amazing. What we do 
has an effect on God's eternal timetable. We can hasten the day. But how? Well, what's holding it back? Last week we discovered that the patience of God is delaying the return of Christ. That God doesn't want anyone to perish, so he's waiting. He's waiting for us to repent. So if we want to hasten the day, we better get busy showing signs of repentance and leading others to repent as well. We better be holy and godly in our conduct. Holy means to be separate, to be set apart, to be different from the world. And godly means to be like our Father. We hasten the day by being holy and godly. Living in peace with God and with each other. And if we're not, we're not ready for Christ to return. Peter says we must be diligent to be found in peace, spotless and blameless. And to be spotless and blameless, we must be covered with the blood of the Lamb, cleansed of our sin. So we hasten the day by getting more and more people covered with the saving blood of Christ. Peter then adds that we are to be growing in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we do that by studying His Word and by walking with Him through life. Indeed, walking with Christ here prepares us to walk with Him in the day of eternity. And the sooner more people are walking with Him, the sooner He will return. If you want to walk with Him then, make certain you're walking with Him now. But don't forget that walking with Jesus means taking up a cross. So if you've not done so, take up your cross, the cross of death to self, because the way of the cross leads home. And the sooner you do so, the sooner we will all be home.